0: The rising tide of fascist organizations and armed ultra right militias came into clear view with a temporary seizure and dispersal of Congress on January 6th. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality. There's no denying it, capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolff join us once again for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business, And we talk about how the economy can be reconstituted on a new basis so that the needs of the people and the planet come first. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He is the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolff. That's R.D w o l f f . c o m
1: professor Wolf welcome back thank you Lauren glad to be here
0: thank you for joining us I of course we talk with you every week about economics and the big story of economics but of course uh, economics is interconnected with politics perhaps as some say economics is concentrated politics or or vice versa politics is concentrated economics if you're coming from a class point of view. Last January uh, 6th, last week, we had uh, the seizure of of the Capitol, something unprecedented. Thousands of people were able to pretty easily breach police lines. Reinforcements did not come when they were asked for. They engaged in violence. Five people died. A Capitol police officer was beaten to death. Another committed suicide after the event. Uh, other police officers were, uh, you know, beaten really badly. Uh, and at the end of the uprising, the, the people were not arrested. They were let go. They went to nearby restaurants. People we know saw them. They were kind of celebrating their victory. Uh, really something. And now uh, this coming Saturday in state capitals around the country, Very far-right organizations who feel emboldened, the wind is in their sails, are promising armed organizations at state capitals, and they're promising also to come to challenge the federal government on January 20th. Um, 55% of Trump voters, 55% of the 73 million who voted for Trump, are upset and don't go along with and don't support what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. That means 45% do. That's a lot of people. That's 30 million or 35 million, but even a greater number don't support what happened. Uh, Professor Wolf, economics, politics, fascism, unresolved social and economic crisis, it's a toxic mix, but it's not the first time In even recent history that we've uh, observed and experienced something like this, maybe not inside so much the United States, although we have that too, but certainly prior to the outbreak of World War II by 1940, in the middle of the Great Depression, all of continental Europe, not just Italy, not just Germany, not just Spain, but all of continental Europe by 1940, uh, capitalist Europe was under the control of fascist forces. Anyway, I'd like to get your thoughts about this.
1: Well, I'm an economist, and I don't shy away from it, and I look at these things uh, partly consciously, and I'm sure, no doubt, unconsciously through an economics lens. I look at the economics of it, uh, partly because I've been trained that way, and I want to talk about that. It is always the case, always, that politicians who are opportunists, and that's a large part of them are constantly on the lookout for what will enhance and develop their political career, move them up the ladder from city council to president or anything in between. And folks that have not been involved in politics but would like to have a political career do the same. And the question is not whether there are fascistic people amongst us or fascistic politicians in the making. That's probably a constant and there's stuff we can do about that, but the eradication of that impulse would require the kinds of deep social changes that are hard to come by and take a long time. In our lifetimes, past and present, and at least for much of the future, the near future, that's gonna be the case. So the real issue is, are there people willing to listen and willing to follow fascists, people whose idea of society is to get rid of democracy, to impose a totalitarian regime of the sort we associate with fascism. Uh, Nazi Germany, Mussolini uh, in Italy, Franco in Spain, uh, and so forth. And for me, the question is, how does an economy either build that audience or develop it or enlarge it. And I think the recent history of the United States developed that audience for the fascistic element in our society. And it's the same element that was able to mobilize a relatively small portion of its audience to do what they did in Washington last Wednesday. Uh, That is the way I understand it. So for me, what I want to do is focus people's attention on how the audience developed. Because if that audience had not developed, then these fascists would be talking to nobody. They would be talking to themselves. They couldn't even mobilize their small number of followers uh, to imagine what happened at the Capitol, let alone to achieve it. And here's my answer. Since the 1970s, which we're now talking half a century, from 1970 to now is half a century. Over that half a century, the American working class has been hit over the head. And by working class, let me be very clear. I follow the notion that there are two basic positions in the economy of our society, the position of employer and the position of employee. You know, it's how we characterize feudalism. There were lords and there were serfs. Or it's how we uh, characterize slavery. There were masters and there were slaves. And the way you characterize capitalism is it had two basic classes, the employer and the employee. The employer is the one who has the wealth and the power. And the employee is the one who usually has neither. Maybe if you're well paid, you get some money, but the power you do not have. Okay. In our society, then, the overwhelming majority of people are in the working class. They're in the employee part of the population. That's why I liked Occupy Wall Street when it had the boldness to say it's 1% versus 99%. You can quibble with the 1%. Maybe it's three, maybe it's five. But the basic idea is exactly right. A tiny minority dominates in capitalism over an enormous majority. So if fascistic politicians, if racists, if white supremacists, if folks like that are able to generate an audience, if Mr. Trump is able to ride that wave into office, and if he's able to build it up over four years so that 73 million Americans vote for that, then you have to understand why the audience was big enough to let all of that happen. And the blows taken by the American working class over the last half century are the answer to that question. For 150 years before 1970, wages rose in America. Since 1970, they didn't. The only way standards of living rose over the last 50 years was because American working people undertook a level of debt borrowing that had never been seen by any working class in the history of the world. Mortgage debt to buy your home, automobile debt to be able to move, credit card debt in order to be able to literally get a bottle of water at the local uh, store, and more recently, college debt to give your child an education. Mired in debt, debt you can never repay, debt that gets bigger and makes you more anxious, a terrible blow to the American working class. But that was only the beginning. Huge corporations closed their factories in the United States and moved them to China, moved them to India, moved them to Brazil. Other corporations replaced workers with machines, and still other corporations replaced Native American workers with immigrants whom they could exploit even more. The the blow to the American working class, not just at the job, not just with your income, but with your whole sense of the system being in some sense for you was disappearing. The rich were getting richer, producing the the grotesque inequality we now visualize literally every day. You're further and further away from the rich. You're further and further away from the politicians you can see serve the rich. And you're finding that the standard of living you promised your children or your spouse is not there, isn't going to be there. You are, therefore, very bitter, very angry. In the words of one of the uh, capital invaders, who was caught in a video, what are we supposed to do? Everything is being taken away from us, exactly. In the realm of the economics, and everything economics touches, which is most of the rest of our lives, A vast number of Americans feel, and rightly so, that they've been ripped off, that they have been demoted, that they have been relegated to a status they never imagined would have happened to them. They went to school. They got the degrees. They work real hard. They were supposed to get the rewards of that behavior. Instead, they are seeing everything around them destroy. These people are then ripe for the trumps of this world, for the David Dukes, for the white supremacists to come in with the convenient usual scapegoats. You know what's doing this to you, black people, or immigrant people, or brown people, or a bad politician, a democrat or None of this makes any sense. Those folks that are being scapegoated have neither the position nor the power to explain what happened to you. This is a system problem. But of course, that's the taboo in America. Republicans don't tell you that it's the system and Democrats don't tell you either. So how do you expect the population to recognize that the system is their problem when you have been systematically denying that kind of understanding. The schools don't teach it. The politicians dare not say so. The media keep from it like children from a hot stove. And so you have a population literally ripened to be available to allow the fascists, the Confederate lovers, the gun-toters, and others to push forward their ideas To understand how it was possible for those people to do what they did at the Capitol, you have to remember that many more believe in QAnon, that there is a cabal of pedophiles around the world that are organizing the dismantling of American society. When you see that and you understand that, you know that the issue is, how came it to be possible? that a level of suffering is imposed on the mass of the employees of America, the working class, that could make fascism once again find the soil in which to plant its seeds.
0: Those are important points, Richard. And, uh, you know, large parts of the population have been influenced by the QAnon conspiracy theories. Uh, It's kind of fused with Uh, sort of an extreme Christian zealotry. Uh, It has all of these characteristic features of, of course, racism and racial supremacy. I mean, Hitler himself premised his Aryan racial supremacy model on, on Jim Crow laws in America. Uh, The the germ of American fascism so deeply rooted in, in its own traditions of white supremacy. Um, And, and the, The fact that parts of the population could be sort of moved over time into accepting either QAnon conspiracy theories or fascist ideas. Um, Even the woman who was killed, Ashley Babbitt, uh, who was an extreme right-winger and QAnon supporter. I was just looking at her background. She's a small business owner, like like a lot. uh, uh, That's another characteristic element. There is a middle class. There is a small business owners who have been ruined by big capital. She was, uh, she has a failing small business. She voted for Obama in two thousand eight or two thousand twelve or both. Uh, Now she's clearly with or was with the extreme right wing. We're we're coming up on January twentieth. It's going to be the inauguration of Joe Biden. I, it seems to me that the that the capitalist state, in spite of its very strong, you know, its authority and its money, it spends, uh, you know, 700 and well, really almost a trillion dollars on armaments and war every year, but couldn't defend the capital, wasn't prepared to. Really, really, something kind of a weak response, a fear, a fearful response, in some way, a a paralyzed response. Impeachment against a president who's leaving office anyway in ten days doesn't seem very like big punishment. And losing your social media platform again for a seditious conspiracy where you seize power, seize the seat of Congress—that's bad for Trump, but not really. You know, seditious conspiracy, you know, you can get 20 years in prison for that. Anyway, a weak response, but I'm reminded of this that there's another important date coming up in January, and that's January 30th. Uh, It'll be the, yeah, the 88th anniversary, January 30th, 1933. Hitler uh, takes power. He becomes chancellor in Germany. And it's important to remember for our listeners that. There wasn't a fascist seizure of power. He was appointed chancellor by by the right center politician, President Paul von Hindenburg. And there was a deal struck actually between Hitler and the industrialists and the the military high command. They thought they could all work together to destroy the socialists and the communists who were big and strong in Germany. Germany was a progressive country, not a right wing country in the main. Um, he came to power, again, peacefully, not through a seizure of power. The elites made a deal with him. But be, before that, and, and for a little while afterwards, uh, Hitler was posturing as the the champion of the little man. The fact that the, the German Nazi party was called the German, the socialist German workers party. It took the the nomenclature of socialism. It's When you read Nazi propaganda, it's very much against the elites, against the establishment. But it turns out that the establishment and the bankers they're targeting turn out to be Jewish bankers. And the, the people they're scapegoating are even poorer Jewish people from Eastern Europe or Roma people or communists, like their version of Antifa now. So you have these fascists pretending to be the champions of the middle class, or the poor, or the working class, uh, and at the same time, uh, actually, their program doesn't lead to any salvation. And in fact, it leads to catastrophe. But it's it's part of a, a a sort of a demagogy and opportunism that exists in Amer in European and now American politics. Uh, let's speak then again about what the what the progressive and the left parties and organizations and movements should do. Obviously, we're all struggling for a progressive outcome here. The Democratic Party seems still so wedded to the same Wall Street establishment, the military industrial complex. So they're not offering that which could be offered that would actually make a dent for people. I'm looking at a statistic here. Two-fifths of the households in America say income hasn't recovered from the initial coronavirus hit. Uh, that's a lot of people. And if nobody's speaking to them and there's these other pretenders to represent the poor and the middle class in the name of patriotism or whatever, um, that fascist movement can grow. Like, What should progressives do? What should the unions do? What should socialists
1: do? Well, let me respond by adding a little bit to your story about Germany. Here's the, everything you said is fine, let me add something. Before they invite Hitler to form a government in January of 1933, before, uh, they had an interaction with Hitler earlier, the Germans did. Back in 1923, that's a 10 years before he's invited to form a government, uh, he's a demobilized World War One veteran, a young man, and he's very opportunistic. He sees the mass of the German people suffering economically, terrible blows. I'm trying to tell the story to show you the parallels with the United States. In Germany, the working class had done very well from roughly the 1860s to the First World War. They had done, their industrialism was very successful. Together with the United States, they were the challengers of the British Empire that had ruled the world for a century or two. Uh, very, very strong. They were very self-confident. They were a working class that was doing really pretty well. And then they got hit with a one-two punch that really knocked them. World War I, Germany lost it. It's never good to be the loser of a war. And at the end of the war, the countries that won, mostly Britain and France, imposed on the Germans a reparations. They had to pay the winner, which, of course, they couldn't do. And one of the ways they tried to cope with a debt they couldn't pay was by printing more and more money which produced in 1922 and 3, a few years after the World War I catastrophe, Germany had one of the worst inflations in the history of the world. Since Americans are not familiar with this, let me describe it to you. In 1919, one dollar got you about 40 German marks. In 1922, one dollar got you 7,000 German marks. And by the autumn of 1923, one dollar got you, get ready now, four trillion German marks. In In the year 1923, prices for weeks at a time were doubling at the supermarket every half hour. The savings of the German working class, and they're very frugal people, were wiped out. It took you 50 years to accumulate those savings. Well, by the end of 1923, all that you had saved could not buy you a quarter pound of butter. What the war didn't destroy, the inflation destroyed. The workers were desperate. The promise of a good life, gone. The promise of economic security, gone. And Hitler saw an opportunity. He got together a bunch of other young men looking in some ways quite like those who scaled the walls of the capital. And they marched into the southern German city of Munich to take over the buildings of Munich, take over that local government, and march to take over Berlin and Weimar and the center of the German society. As in the capital, they miscalculated. They didn't get massive support. Instead, they got arrested and Mr. Hitler, among them, thrown into jail, spent a year in jail. He learned something. He learned that this kind of action, while dramatic, while getting you a lot of attention, also got you a lot of jail time. And he had to figure out a different way to proceed. And so he decided the way to go is to build an organization, really well-organized, disciplined, That would give him a better shot at doing what their dramatic takeover of the buildings of Munich had failed to do. But in order for his plan to succeed, he had to count on the dispossessed misery of the German working class not to be overcome, not to be confronted with an alternative path to a solution. He got that. The Germans who took over the rest of the 1920s were Germans who, like the Democrats today, just wanted to get back to how the good old Germany was before they lost World War I. This notion of recreating the normal didn't understand the depth of the crisis that was being faced and the needs for radical solutions that would really meet the need. And so when the 1929 depression hit in Germany, as it did everywhere in the capitalist world, it was one punch too many. World War I lost 1918. Worst inflation in the world history, 1923. Worst depression in capitalism's history, 1929. In a 10 year period, it was just too much. So that with the depression, Hitler's now new organized operation, whose name, just for the record, National Socialist German Workers' Party. That's what he called it. N-S-D-A-P. He now could do what he couldn't do before. The conditions had deteriorated, and he could now present himself as the savior to a population that was so desperate it even went for him. Why do I tell you this? Because the Biden administration either learns this lesson or it is going to repeat it at our peril. You have to do something about the 25 million Americans currently unemployed and the 20 million more that have left the labor force or have been out of it for so long that their their level of desperation makes them homeless and all the rest. You have to do something about the inequality that plagues this society especially because we promised the American people that we would all be middle class and that we would all enjoy the American dream. This takes dramatic changes and the Biden administration has shown absolutely no indication that it gets this message. Indeed, many of those people are Obama holdovers. They think getting back to pre-Trump is the solution. It isn't. Pre-Trump is what gave us Trump. If you don't give a left-wing alternative, you're going to train the American people to respond to the next Trump, who will learn that they need a smoother operation, a less crazy leader, a better organization, and then they will be able to do in five years what Hitler was able to do 10 years after he learned the same lesson. So the solution is put everybody to work. Number one, government employment, the way we did in the 1930s. If the Biden administration overcame unemployment, it would be, and I mean this in a matter of weeks and months, it would be the biggest possible response to Mr. Trump and his failure to provide work and income to tens of millions of Americans. It would be a demonstration of another way to go. If he would be able to, if the Biden administration started and created in America a genuine worker co-op sector of the economy, a place where people could see in every one of the 50 states what it's like to work in a worker co-op with a division of income is decided democratically by everybody. Some people get more if they've had more education, if they have a bigger family, if they need it, we give some to more. If they work harder, we'll work that out. People are smart, they can figure that out. But what we'll never allow is for one person, say like Jeffrey Bezos or Elon Musk, to have hundreds of billions of dollars, while tens of millions of people are what we nowadays call euphemistically, food insecure in other words hungry we wouldn't do that we wouldn't have the inequality so there's two things immediate full employment and with many of those people given jobs given jobs in worker co-ops so we have a visible alternative that people can see in their community, how it works differently, how it rewards people differently, how they treat each other differently compared to a capitalist enterprise with over-rich executives and a desperate mass of people barely getting by. These kinds of actions, which were not taken by the German government paving the way for Hitler, if they're not taken by Biden, He will be paving the way for the next Trump to do to us what was only tried last week and what will be tried again if the conditions are not changed.
0: Richard, we have 90 seconds left. I'm looking at Bloomberg Wealth, um, Bloomberg.com. Bezos, Musk, Smash Records. As world's richest added $1.8 trillion, with 25 individuals now worth more than $50 billion, inequality and deficits are leading to calls for wealth taxes. Wealth taxes, I mean, well, they need to be pretty severe taxes. I mean, anyway, Richard Wolf, 90 seconds left. Go
1: ahead. The problem is not, you're not going to solve this problem. With taxes, if you go back to Elizabeth Warren or Bernie, the amount of taxes they put on there, one, two, three percent, that's how much these funds earn each year. They would be staying exactly where they are if the earnings they made each year had to be paid in taxes. They don't even want to do that. But we're talking again about something much more fundamental. If you took, I'm just going to give you an example, if you took half half of the wealth away from them in one fell swoop, you would give the government hundreds of billions of dollars to really do something for the American people. And here's the irony. If you took away half the wealth of those 600 billionaires in America, they'd still be the 600 richest people on the planet. I mean, the, uh, the, the unspeakable nature of this system that you allowed the richest of the people to become much richer while 60 million Americans, that's over a third of our labor force, had to file for unemployment over the last 10 months, at least for some or all of that time. That level of inequality, that takes us back to ancient Egypt and the pharaohs. You're going to have fascists taking advantage of this inequality and concocting conspiracy theories and mobilizing people. And if you don't have a real answer to them, they are gonna succeed. If not this time, if not this outrage, then with the next one.
0: Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The System is the Sickness, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out his work at rdwolf.com. Rdwolf is com. You've been listening to the Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.